My name's Chad. I'm the next gen. I'm the next gen guy here. That means I work with all your. I uh, anyway, I do stuff here with the kids, and uh, they gave me one job, and apparently, apparently, I'm doing a bad job at it this morning. So. Anyway, this is a crazy time of year. This is a time of chaos, a, a time where, man, we are just uh, scrambling around. I don't know about you, but it seems like I find myself busier and more distracted every day as we get closer and closer to that special December 25th holiday. Yeah. And we all talk about Christmas and we say, you know, what's the real meaning of Christmas? What's, what's it all about? And of course, you know, we try to teach our children it's about about Jesus, but as humans, we have this natural ability to make things about us. We're, we're good at that. I mean, for instance, have you ever been to a one-year-old birthday party? It's not for the kid. You know, look at the, look at the beverages and the food being served and all. That, that's not for the kid. The conversations, you know, the cake is the one thing for the kid, but the rest is about us, right? We want to have a good time at the party. We're good at making things about us, and this time of year, we can get the emphasis wrong and focus on gifts, presents. We're good at making things about what they're not really about. And, and this is one of those, when, when it comes to looking for the perfect Christmas gift can be an endless challenge. I mean, some of you, who's married to someone who is hard to buy for? Yes, yes, I feel your pain. I'm the difficult one in our marriage, though. <laughs> Do what you're good at. When, when I, I did some research looking at popular presents over the past few year, uh, decades, and um, just I, I thought I might share some of these, kind of remind us, you know, here's some ideas if you're looking for that perfect some, something for someone. We go back to the 1950s, and in the 1950s, they created, everybody wanted it, Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, talk about uh, genius and brilliance. You know, the original Mr. Potato Head, though, had a real potato. It had plastic parts you put into it, but it was a real potato, and it, it would rot, obviously. They got a little better, and, and now Mr. Potato Head. So if you're looking for that perfect gift, maybe it's a Mr. Potato Head. Now let's go uh, to the 60s, and in the 60s, it got cool. We got this thing called Light Bright. I remember playing with one growing up. Do you remember these things? Yeah, you could put pictures, spell words, man. It, it was just a time. And, you know, when it came out in the 60s, it was a pit. Uh, then we go to the 70s. And in the 70s, we came up with the Rubik's Cube. And this was a popular gift item. And what's interesting to me is the person that created this actually couldn't solve it. Yeah, he did not have the, the algorithm to solve it, and so uh, I, I just found that interesting. I, anyway, also in the 70s, and this is the one that just stands out to me. In the 70s, there was this thing called a pet rock. Seriously. I, I mean, this will blow you guys away. Pet rock. Who ever had a pet rock? Awesome. All right, this is great. You talk about a guy who didn't know what to get his honey for Christmas. Here's a rock. <laughs> it's a pet. I'll put some holes, air holes in the box for you. Yeah. All right. So um, it's 1975. It was a huge hit. It was a fad, obviously died out uh, quickly. Then the 80s rolled around and something big came out in the 80s. This is what I was crazy about was Nintendo. 
You remember that when the Nintendo came out, how cool everybody needed a Nintendo and how much it's changed Christmas gifts since. But then in the 90s, there was this crazy phase, the Tickle Me Elmo. Yes. The Tickle Me Elmo phase. This was such a popular item that there were actually people, people got arrested fighting over Tickle Me Elmo. Can you imagine being in the slam and they're like, what you in for? Uh, <laughs> Tickle Me Elmo? That's not how you want to start your incarceration. <laughs> but if we were all honest, you know, these gifts uh, some of us have had and they gave us joy for some time, but... The joy passed. The joy um, didn't last. And I think each one of us here, if we were just totally honest, would admit that in each one of us, there's this growing sense of dissatisfaction. There's this desire, this longing for something more. We have questions that aren't answered. We're filled with worry and fear, and we're on this endless, relentless pursuit to achieve and obtain more. When we look at ourselves, we see that sometimes we've made it about what it shouldn't be about, and that we've lost focus. I, I want to read a passage. This is probably the most familiar Christmas passage from the Bible. But Luke chapter 2, we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, in times like these, it's imperative that you block out the distractions that are consuming our attention. Father, would we receive your word today and would we be doers of it? Make us what you formed us and shaped us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 2020 has been a crazy year. This year is full of chaos. Some of us, that's not a newsflash, that some of us, we've been knocked down. 
We've been sucker punched. We've been kicked in the teeth. It's been hard. It still is hard. To where reading this familiar passage and all of the good memories that we may have of of Christmas in the past just don't seem to resonate with us this year. And then others of us are, are maybe in a good stride that, yeah, we've gone through some crazy, but we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We're making it out. We're stronger. We're better for it. Man, we're, we're thrilled. Well, understand, just because things are good doesn't mean you necessarily have peace in your life. You see, that's what God's gift to us is peace. And you see what the heavenly hosts proclaim, you know, that, that peace on earth with whom God's favor rests, you know, that... that that this is such a huge deal that the only way to experience God's peace, God's perfect peace, is through Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no absolute perfect peace. You can be in the midst of good times and everything's going great, but still not have peace. That inner turmoil, that inner conflict within yourself, that battle that rages on, that there's a peace that puts all that to rest in Christ. It's a peace that surpasses understanding, and that's what God's desire is for each one of us. Now, as we read this passage here in Luke 2, did you notice the first four verses were very detailed? I mean, we've got these big fancy names like Augustus Caesar, or Caesar Augustus, sorry, uh, Caesar Augustus Quirinius. All right, I want to point out here, do you notice all of those details? If you're a history buff, this is huge. Luke is making it very clear. This is not a once upon a time story. This is not something that's just made up to give us the feel goods. That this is actual, it's, it's factual, historically accurate an accounting of the birth of Christ. For apologetics, this is huge. And we don't have time to get into this. I, I, I wish we did. But notice these details that Caesar Augustus, that wasn't his real name. That was just a title that was given to him. His real name was Octavia, Gaius Octavius. You know, I would have changed my name too. Caesar, <laughs> Caesar was the title for king or emperor. And Augustus was the illustrious one, the increasing one. The, uh, it was an, a title of endearment, you know? Uh, they worshiped their Caesar. He was the savior of the people. He was a big dude. And so at the start of the story, you think the story's going to be about him, but that's not the case at all, that God is working in the chaos. Um, and when we look at these actual events, you know, is it just like... Today, you know, 2020 was a census year. Well, he, he does this for taxation reasons and that he's making everyone register, go to their hometowns. And something bigger is going on through this. You know, you know we get so bent out of shape. It seems like every four years that we think the world might end because someone else is coming into power in our country. We get so bent out of shape over who's going to be in the Oval Office. But listen, God can use anybody, anybody to accomplish his plans. Even someone who self-proclaims to be a God, to be a savior of the people, he can use to accomplish his plans. And that's what we find here is that the plan was so much bigger than taxation. That wasn't it at all. But the implications were for, for Mary and Joseph, you know, that, that God knew what was going to happen in all of this, that 700 years before the birth of Christ, he already gave details through prophets like Micah, Isaiah. He knew this was going to happen, but think about the inconvenience of it for Mary and Joseph. It would have been quite challenging. 
This is an 80-mile trap, uh, uh, trap, 80-mile trek journey from uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it would have taken a lot of, it would have taken money. It would have taken energy. It would have taken resource. And, and think about this. You know, Mary is nine months pregnant riding on a donkey. That's chaos. That is chaos. And, and that's where God, even though he knew this was going to happen, he didn't stop all of the chaos from happening, but God was working even in the chaos. That's what I want you to see. God is working even in chaos. When things are chaotic and your life seems to be going the wrong direction, things are crazy, God can still and is still working. And so I ask, you know, they had to make this trip and all. Were these just um, chaotic complexities, situational circumstances that were complex, or was it divinely directed by God? When we look at our chaos in our life, you know, is it chaotic complexities or are these divinely directed details? That God was directing the details. And that Caesar's Augustus story was just like our story. And that our story is part of a bigger story, his story. And Caesar Augustus was no exception to that rule. His story was a part of God's story, what God was doing. And so when Caesar gives this decree for everyone to go to register, Mary and Joseph do that, but there was a huge point to this, okay? Why? Why? Why would God ask them to do that? Well, it goes all the way back, you know, to the prophets, and they said Jesus was going to be born where? In Bethlehem. That meant he couldn't be born in Nazareth, even though he would grow up to be called a Nazarene, that he had to be born in Bethlehem. And so how do you get them from there to there? Well, you use Caesar Augustus to make this. And God does, works through this chaos to, to bring about the fulfillment of his promise in the scriptures. But imagine Mary and Joseph through it all. God worked through the chaos and they get to see that. God can work through the chaos in ways that we would never bring about the same results. God can do it for his glory. And so God is working through the chaos. Imagine Mary and Joseph. You've got Mary who they say is a young teenager and she's pregnant. She's not married. It's the talk of the town. This isn't good. It, it, everybody wants out. Joseph wants out. Uh, engagement, they were only engaged at that time. They hadn't been married. Mary and Joseph were engaged. And engagements were different then that they were legally binding. That means once you were betrothed, you had to get a divorce to break it off, to call it off. And we know Joseph wants out of this chaos bad enough that he's going to divorce Mary quietly. He's a good guy. He's not going to make a big deal out of it, embarrass or shame her or anything like that. He's just going to divorce her quietly. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not the plan here, Joseph. Now, we don't know as much of what Joseph said, but we know what he did. And you see, chaos, nobody wants to be in it, but chaos is an opportunity to trust God. Chaos is an opportunity for us to show where our trust is. Mary and Joseph in their chaos could have said, God, please use someone else. They could have said no. We see what Mary says in, in Matthew and, and read that we're just where she magnifies the Lord. And she saw herself as a servant. And Joseph, we don't know as much of what he said, but, but we know what he did. His actions supported his faith that showed his trust really was in God. And this is huge. When we look at our faith, 
Faith without works is dead. There has to be action backing up the trust. Because it's one thing to say, I trust in something, but it's different to actually do it. You see the difference? I, I want to bring something out just a second. I need a break. This is something a lot of us have trusted at one point or another. Stepladder. It's a really tall one. As you can see, it's above my head. The putting trust in something means putting your weight on it. I remember a few years ago, uh, this is when I only had two, I have three sons now. Um, my older two boys came to see me at work one day. Well, Megan brought them, but you get the picture. They came to see me at work. And, and so we're out in the hallway, we're playing, and man, I'm just having fun. I'm picking them up and tossing them around. We're having a good time. And I take one and I see a coat rack in the hallway. So what? I take them and set them up on a coat rack. And he loves it. Man, he's just laughing. It, it, it's great. But then I get my other son and I pick him up and he's laughing, having fun. I'm lifting him. He's good. But when I go to put him up on the coat rack, it crashes, right? No, no, it didn't. It, it, he flips out. You would have thought it crashed. He had a cow. I mean, he just flipped out. And, and I realized my son at that point had a five foot trust in me, but he didn't have a seven. How deep, how high is your trust in God right now? Some of us, I believe, approach our faith with our actions not backing it up that we don't trust him at all. We don't know if he'll be there, if he'll catch us. And then others of us, yeah, we might have a one-step faith where, yeah, I trust, I trust God, but honestly, if this breaks and I fall, I'm gonna be okay. You know, this is trusting God with things that don't directly involve you. People maybe you don't know, but yeah, you pray for, but, but if God doesn't come through at the end of the day, you'll be okay. But some of us have a two-step faith in God. It goes a little higher, but I can easily step off and be okay and keep going. This is where we trust God maybe with with things that, yeah, we do know, but they don't keep us up at night. They don't weigh heavy on us. But then there's maybe a third step faith where we say, God, I trust you. Not only with people I don't know and people I do, but God, even in the ones that are close to me and the ones that, God, we need you more than anything to show up to deliver and God, I'm not just trusting you with those that are close to me, but God, I'm going even higher and I want to trust you with everything that I am. And God, I want to trust you to the point that I am all yours and that if I fall, I know, God, I'm going to hurt. I need you that bad. My actions back it up. My faith is that high that I trust you. So how high is your faith in God? How much weight are you putting all of your weight, your trust in him? Are your actions backing that up, that even in the chaos, even when you can't see what he's doing or what he's up to, that you know and you trust that one day there will be a day we'll be able to look back and we'll be able to see what it is God was working in and through in all of the chaos and all of the crazy. Do you need to go deeper? 
Does your trust need to become stronger? We do that by backing up your faith with actions. Taking a step and another step and another step in the direction that God is leading to on the journey. You follow. You know, God, in the midst of the chaos and all, he still required Mary and Joseph to take the trip. What journey is God going to require you to take? I think it's important that as we talk about all this chaos, to note, God does not always remove chaos. But he does something better. Even though God doesn't always remove chaos, he enters in with us. He could totally have uh, just magically placed Mary and Joseph where they needed to be. But he didn't. You know, that's why this is such good news, why this story is Emmanuel. What we were saying about earlier is that, you know, God with us. He could make everything easy, but he doesn't. He promises to be in the chaos with us. He will always be there. He won't leave even when it gets crazy. He won't leave when it gets hard and when things don't go the way they should, when, when it seems like the, the wrong team's winning. That He won't check out. He promises to never leave or forsake us. And God is, is, enters in the chaos in a way that he shows up and changes to where all of the sudden what was stirring and tearing us apart and, and, and we can find peace even in the midst of the storm. When, when we look at our chaos in our life, God may not remove it, but do you know he's with you? Do you know he's for you? I remember when a few months ago when coronavirus uh, first started uh, changing and disrupting everything that I was going to try to work from home one day and uh, Megan couldn't be there. It was a Saturday and I, um, I, I, I said, there's an office upstairs that I was going to go up and do some work in and I was going to leave the three boys to play downstairs. Great plan. What could go wrong, right? How hard is this pairing thing? Well, it didn't take long at all, and you know what happened. All of a sudden, I hear fighting. They're fighting, they're screaming, they're yelling, and what? I do what any loving dad would do. And what do I say? <laughs> Boys, stop fighting! I yelled it down the stairs with all the love I could muster at the moment. Obviously, you know what happened, that didn't work. What do I say? I, I, I get a moment of brilliance. I say, boys, start sharing. Do you know how to share? <laughs> Dad, if we knew how to share, we wouldn't need you, you know? No. It, what, what happened was eventually what? I had to stop what I was doing, right? I had to get up and go downstairs to be with my boys and settle it out. I had to enter the chaos in order to work it out. Aren't you glad that we have a dad who's upstairs and comes downstairs and fixes our chaos? Only God can do that. And he sends Jesus in such a, a special way, a way that maybe we wouldn't have seen, but it, it, it's the perfect picture of even in chaos, he can bring peace that he doesn't promise to remove the chaos, but he promises he will always enter in with us and he will always make us overcomers.
I want to read Romans 8 real quick, just a couple of verses where Paul is telling the church at Rome. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than overcomers. Even through the chaos, God's not done. He's working. And in fact, he might use the chaos to be a sign. Your mess becomes your message. You know, that's why, how many of us would say, man, we've seen what God can do and that the chaos was the sign that God was working. That's exactly what we see here when, when in verse 11, and, um, Luke says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Think if God had made the hotel reservation when he knew he was going to do this, it might've removed the chaos, but there wouldn't have been the sign for the shepherds. And why the shepherds? I wish we had time. We really don't. But if we had time, we could talk and go through scripture where we see Case after case, being a shepherd, that wasn't what you wanted to do. That was for the low man on the totem pole. That's what the youngest kid always got to do, was be the shepherd. They, they, they weren't the ones that you would think the king of kings would appear to. But yet they were the very ones, the outcasts, the ones who, who, who were exiled by society. They were the very ones that he appeared to, that he gives this sign for. And notice verse 11, we're going to take just a moment. I, I, I just, we might learn something here because when I learned this, it, it, it shocked me. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. See, I read the story uh, all growing up. I, for the longest time, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. I really did. And if you think that, that's, that's fine. But that's not his last name. Christ is title, is a title. It, it, Greek, it, it's connected, it's Messiah, anointed one. For someone to be anointed in the Bible meant to, it was a symbol of God's presence on their life. The, the oil was a, a, a represented God's presence. And so for one to be anointed by, by God was saying that, that God's spirit was on them, resting on them, in them, and working through them. And there were three types of people that were anointed we had the, the prophets who were anointed by God. And they, would, they were um, God's uh, spokesmen. Uh, he, they would proclaim God's message. But then we also had the priests, and this is the representative for God's people. And then we also have the king, and that is the protector and provider for the people. And all of a sudden we see Christ, the anointed one. We find one who's not just a prophet, not just a priest, and not just a king, but he is all three and so much more. And that he is the prophet in that he 
preaches the good news of God's forgiveness to all, that forgiveness is found in Christ, that he is the prophet, he is the priest, and that he represents us before God. He entered as a baby. He emptied himself, came, became a servant, and came to the point where he was helpless, just like we are. He was tempted like we are. He was tried just as we are, that he could really relate and represent us, and that he is also king in what he did for us on the cross. He is a protector and provider. Our souls have salvation now because of what he has done, that Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. He is the Christ, the anointed one. When we look at all he has done, we see that Jesus, it's all about him. That's what the scriptures were pointing to. It was all pointing to Jesus and that he is both the message of forgiveness and the method of forgiveness. He is worthy of our praise. And he is entering in as God wrapped in skin. Think about that. How much love to do what he did. Can you imagine? I mean, this is what God's plan was from the beginning and all, you know, from Genesis 3 on, it was all pointing towards Christ. It was all pointing towards Christ. And here, can you imagine being there that night when he was born? Any parents in the room? Are you still awake? Yeah, all right, all right. Parents, do you remember that first time? Do you remember that first time that you held your baby, boy or girl, when, when they're delivered and you got them in your arms and you looked at them and uh, wow, there's just no word for that rush of emotion and that love, that feeling, that, that, that just how inspiring, how, uh, you know, as soon as our first was born, man, I was texting and I was calling people I hadn't talked to in forever. I wanted everyone to know that our, our boy was here. And we hadn't been planning it that long. You know, we, 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 we hadn't waited hundreds of years for this moment. We were excited after just nine months, you know. Imagine the excitement that heaven can't even keep quiet, that the angel appears and the heavenly hosts are praising God, proclaiming, you know, glory to God in the highest, that heaven can't keep silent. This is so exciting. But yet there's one thing, you know, what's the sign? Can you imagine when you were given your baby boy and you held him in the arms, can you imagine just going over and laying him down and setting him in like a, a food bowl for the dog? <laughs> Guys, don't do that. That's a rookie mistake, but that's bad. But that's what the sign was, that Jesus would be found in a food trough. It didn't matter. Anything was a step down from what heaven could offer. The excitement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you realize that if you are in Christ, you find favor in his sight? If you're, in, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see you and your, your, your mistakes, your sin. He sees Christ. There's peace. And when we talk about this peace, this, Jesus has given so many titles. One of the titles he's given is Prince of Peace. 
That's how he wants his children to walk. You know, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 26, three and four, he says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Trust for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I wanted to point out real quick that he says he would keep in perfect peace whose ever mind is stayed on him that trust in the Lord forever. Did you notice the Lord in that fourth verse of Isaiah 26? It's all caps. That means it's, it's using a version of God's name. And we see God's name appear over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. But here's the, the interesting thing. It's not just a name like we have names that don't really mean anything. They just sound cool. These were names that meant something that would, give, uh, that would teach us, show us something different about God's character each time that would teach us about, about who he is. But if we go back to Exodus 3, we see Moses. Moses is, is, is God's man to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh has kept him. And so God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And he's, he, he, Moses goes to see the burning bush. It doesn't burn up. And that's where he has this conversation with God. And God says, Moses, you're going to go and you are going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses didn't want to do it at all. I mean, you got to think about this. His life, you know, the first 40 years, he grew up in Pharaoh's household, in the palace. He grew up with the best education, all that uh, Egypt had to offer. He knew, though, he was a part of God's people and was called to deliver him. So he made some, he made some, bad, mistake, uh, he made some bad decisions, ends up running for his life, 40 years on the run. And how is he hiding? He's hiding as a shepherd. As nobody wants that, remember? He's thinking... He's thinking his life's done. He's not going to deliver anyone out there. But the burning bush changed everything when God said, Moses, you're going to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses says, but I can't. I mean, let's just say I go and they ask me, who sent you? What do I tell them? What's your name? You remember, God didn't answer all of Moses' questions in that conversation, but what did he say? He said, Moses, I am. I'm sure Moses is like, right, I am? Mr. Is? I tell them Mr. Is sent me? No, no, Moses, you don't understand. I am. Moses, God, I don't want to do this. I mean, I can't speak good enough. I'm not eloquent. I'm not smart enough. Just hear God say, Moses, I am. Moses didn't realize that all that he was looking for could be summed up in God, in the I am. And that when he said, I'm not, I can't speak, I'm not smart enough, God says, you listen, it's it's my amness covers your notness. I am. We see different names used in scripture teaching us about different characteristics from God. And we see in Exodus, in Israel, when they were wounded and sick because of their sin. They needed a healer. And guess what? God showed up as Jehovah Rapha, which means, really, it literally means, I am your healer. 
In Leviticus, Moses lays out the law to God's people, how they should live, how they could walk faithfully with God. And their response is, who could ever live this way? To which God responded with Jehovah Mekadishim, I am your sanctifier. Ezekiel's day, Israel was scared and alone. They were besieged and they knew the end was coming and that the enemy was all around surrounded. And yet God showed up and said, I am Jehovah Shammah, I am there. Abraham, when he faced an impossible circumstance, no way to go, no way out. God said, Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider. When Gideon faced an army a hundred times the size of his own and didn't know where to turn, what he was going to do, he called God, Jehovah Shalom, I am your peace. When Jeremiah was discouraged by how Israel's uh, inability to, to walk faithfully before God and honor him, he said, how can we survive? We are so sinful. God said, Jehovah Sekinu, I am your righteousness. Isaiah wasn't sure how he had survived another day. And God said, I am Jehovah Sebaoth, Lord of hosts. I am the God who fights for you. Don't you want a God fight who fights for you? There's only one that's living. There's only one that's the way. And he says, he's it. He is the creator the finisher, the perfecter. He is. Everything that we long for can all be found in him. He says, I am. I am. Who could be smart enough to figure this all out? I am. How am I supposed to wait, know which way to go and who I turn to for directions? I am. I'm not sure who's really on my side. I am. I don't think anybody is listening to me. I am. I'm, I'm too old to start over. My life's not where it's supposed to go. And, and what am I going to do? Trust the I am. Well, what if I fail again? I am. What if I've made so many mistakes? I am. I've given all that I can and it's not enough. I can't do it. I am. I'm tired. I am. I'm ready to quit. I am. I need a hit of something, a drink of something. I need something. I am. I am. I am. His amness makes up for our notness. So where are you this morning? You're wanting peace? Well, maybe you need to trust him. Give your life to him. Surrender to him instead of looking for something else to satisfy and bring contentment and joy, look to him. He says, I am. He is the great I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He is. And our story, our part of his story, what's he calling you to do? For some of us, we know. We've been too scared to, to own up to it, but we know. Maybe some of us need to have some difficult conversations this week. Maybe some of us need to confess. Maybe some of us need to forgive. Listen, the Prince of Peace 
is here to supply peace to those who will accept his gift, his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your goodness is seen all around us and what you're doing and how you're working and changing lives. And Father, remind us that it's out of this chaos that you deliver us. It's through this that you bring life, that we can have forgiveness in you, the hope of heaven. And so Father, we pray right now that we would be yours completely, In Jesus' name, and all who agree, say...